0: the content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice all interviews and discussions are opinions only and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listeners financial objectives financial situation or needs listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision hi everyone and welcome to this edition of stock doc i'm your host dr nigel finch and today on the program, I'm speaking with Grant Straker. He's CEO of Straker Translations, who are listed under the ticker code STG. Now, Grant is the founder of Straker Translations, which is a technology based translation services company. Since 2010, this company has grown into one of the world's leading translation service providers. Grant, thanks very much for joining us from Auckland today, and welcome to the program.
1: Um, Glad to be here, and uh, yeah, um, happy to be along.
0: Well, I want to start off with just a few simple questions to get a glimpse of your business, and then talk about your background and your professional experience. So, to start off, can you give listeners just a very quick snapshot of the size and scale of Straker Translation? Say... The headcount, number of customers, revenue, market cap, countries you operate in—just some of the headline um, numbers.
1: Sure. Look, um, so if I start with market cap, we're around about a hundred million at the moment. We we operate in ten countries. Um, uh, I, I think the analysts, you know, have our revenue sitting sort of in the early thirties for FY twenty one we have uh, it's actually increasing quite a lot the number of staff um reasonably rapidly but but in the early 200s in staff and and we are recruiting quite heavily so um within a couple of months imagine that's going to be somewhere close to 250. um customers a uh, very broad range of of customers around the world and, and our main offices are in here in auckland we have a couple of other offices in new zealand we have an office in japan we have quite a, a reasonable production centre in Barcelona in Spain and also in Madrid and up in northern Spain in Victoria, one in Germany, an office in Ireland, um, and um, one in um, just outside of Salt Lake City with around about 50 people and one in Pennsylvania with about 15 people. Hmm. Well, Grant, for those who
0: don't know your company, can you briefly summarise your value proposition your key technology stack, and the markets you serve.
1: Sure. So what what we realized uh, about a decade ago was that artificial intelligence was going to have an impact on the industry. And like anything getting impacted by artificial intelligence, you need to make the decision, will it do everything? Will humans still do the majority, or will there be some sort of blended um a mix of, of humans and machines and, and what is the percentage of that blend and so we realized that machines would do the heavy lifting um, that uh, humans would add the context'd uh, be really important and um, and would make and the machines would make humans more efficient so how do you build a platform that improves the efficiency of humans and therefore offers better value to customers and enables us as a business to make higher margins at the same time so that's what our technology stack ultimately does it sounds simple but it's very uh, very hard to do and then we, we so we're servicing um, some large customers the biggest one is, is IBM where we just uh, won a, a global deal to provide um, a partnership with IBM over 55 languages uh, but we also deal with um, many large corporates auto, man, auto manufacturers technology companies um, legal companies yeah, a really wide range anybody that basically needs to uh, transact across cross-border um, and and needs that facilitated through uh, multiple languages.
0: Well, Grant, I want to get back to talking about your business shortly, but I'm I'm keen to also just uh, hear from you a bit about your background and how you and your wife came to found the business. And I also understand you've got a military background serving in the paras, and I'm curious to know how has that experience shaped the way you've led the growth of the company? So perhaps you can talk a little bit about you know the history and and your uh pers- you know prior experience
1: yeah so i mean the history of the company is that that after i would left the army in in the 90s i um <clears throat> wasn't sure what i was going to do i went and um studied engineering and was working for an engineering company and sort of taught myself to code in, in the mid 90s just as the internet was coming along i found that i quite enjoyed it and and that i was reasonably good at it um and so uh i actually went off on a um on a course because i've been self-taught um people in the company i was working for a large engineering company the it guys are asking me to write programs which seemed a bit strange given i was the one that just taught myself so i went and did a course and the um the, the company that ran that course also ran a consulting business and asked if i would come and consult for them so I sort of made a big career switch at the time and went, okay, I'm going to do this. And and then in the late '90s, at sort of same time this was happening, I um I met my wife. So within uh, I was my girlfriend at the time. So within probably two months of meeting her, she gave up her job. Um, and she she had a reasonably, um, you know, good uh, corporate role. Um, and, and we both sort of sold our houses and chucked it all into the business. And here we are 21 years later, um, three kids and, and, and still together.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Grant, the translations market is estimated to be in excess of $20 billion per annum. Can you tell us about the dynamics of this market? Who are the major players? And also, what activities drive growth in this market?
1: Yeah, well, it's actually closer to about $50 billion when you when you look at the different um you know sectors and and so there's there's a number so there's content um translation so so anything that facilitates as i say cross-border might be websites might be legal contracts uh, might be uh, manuals for a, anything um is is one sector that's that's very big you, you've then got um so that's the content translation side you've then got media which is around uh, voiceover and, and dubbing etc on on um the likes of your Netflixes and your, your Apple TV and, and the like. Uh, then you have interpreting, which is sort of face-to-face or, or now through Zoom type interpreting. So there's sort of the three big sectors. We we focus predominantly on uh, the content translation side of it and the um, media side. And again, a, a big part of what we're doing is reducing the human footprint needed in the, um, in, in the production of, uh, translation assets uh, by by doing a lot of automation uh, using machines to figure out how to do stuff and that enables customers to translate more so um often you find that they might be doing one language but they want to do 20 so um yeah so, so it's a whole range and and it's it, it is incredible the size of the industry hmm. And
0: can you briefly explain your business model and the activities that are responsible for generating revenue and generating revenue growth?
1: Sure. So our our, our business model is based around having what we'd call repeating customers. So we have a wide range of of customers who regularly procure translation services from us, and and we get quite deep into a lot of these customers with the automation of their. Their systems, internal systems, into ours. Um, so, what you find though is that translation services is very project driven. So, if somebody makes three cars in a year, for example, they need three times the work if they only do one. And um, and and so, you, so you get sort of ups and downs between different customers at different times, depending on what they're doing. Uh, and so, so that. So, but as you get bigger, and as we've gotten bigger, that 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 really stems that flow um yeah and and so it it's it's a very diverse um across languages across content formats um yeah geographies um different language pairs so, so a really kind of diverse um uh, large industry
0: well given uh the nature of your business it's not surprising to see that you're generating revenue from global sales you know um international sales but what I'm interested in is the fact that you have offices and points of presence in over 10 countries. So what is it about your service delivery that requires you to have this global physical presence?
1: Uh, look and a really really good good question um especially for a tech company. where where obviously most tech companies are trying to uh, not have that that mm. sort of um presence. But what you find is that because these projects are are project driven or a lot of the revenue is project driven often you need to have interaction with that customer so for example uh, we might have a large Australasian company that wants to buy a company in hong kong and they need to do due diligence and they need to do all sorts of different things and 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 for whatever reason that content is going to come in different formats and different ways and it's going to have different rules and so you do need a human interacting with the customer through that process even though the, the platform is going to do that—the the heavy lifting in terms of the production. Um, so, so a lot, a lot of in market is um, is, is sales resources and account management. We, the the difference one is uh, we have more in in Spain as a production hub because we need to cover, um, uh, you know, the world in terms of time zone. We have projects that run continuously, so we have one in New Zealand and one one in Spain that covers it, and then we have. Um, a third in the U.S. It's not as big, but that's also covering um, that, that time zone lag. And, and and again, in Japan, it catches up as, as well. So we have a philosophy of one team, one platform. So we all operate on one platform. Therefore, everybody in each geography can manage a job once it's started through the process. So so that's a big part of it. And, and, yeah, and the rest is um, very much account managers, salespeople, um, solution architects, so, for example, we do lots of work with with IBM around the world integrating systems for them, maybe integrating some of their customers' systems, and that that requires a solution architect to look at um, how we're going to extract the content, automate the process flows and, and and ensure that we can have the right quality checks, et cetera mm. and, and that whole solution yeah
0: just um looking more at the governance of your company at the moment, can you tell us a little bit about your board and some of the changes that? Uh, you've made over the last twelve months.
1: Uh, sure. Look, so um, well, the one that we've bought on uh, recently is Amanda Crib. So um, she's she she was a CFO of um, Datacom here, uh, here in New Zealand, which is New Zealand's largest tech company, a, a multi billion turnover revenue company. She was the group CFO, so a huge amount of experience, um, and 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 not just CFO experience, but actual business experience um and we have um Phil Norman who is our chairman who was the founding chairman of zero so very experienced in managing things we we have um, uh, Steve Donovan who's a um, has really an advisor for for Merrin and I as we were starting the business he was a partner at EY but he he was also involved in a number of um, tech startups in New Zealand that have gone on to be really successful and, and 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 actually sold and and so he's done incredibly well out of that and has all this experience. Um, and uh, he also helps us out with our M and A. He's um, hugely experienced in that uh, in that in that part of the business, and and so that's a, a real benefit for us. Uh, and then uh, Paul Wilson from Bailador, who's um, a listed fund on and, and has a huge wealth of asx experience so i do think we've, we've got a really good balance right across the board and the, and the other board members actually uh tim williams is one of new zealand's most successful entrepreneurs um he, he floated a company in japan he was one of the first westerners to do that so he also brings us lots of international contacts especially up in southeast asia so um yeah and, and northern northern asia so um yeah really uh, really experienced uh, and diverse skill set in our board.
0: Yeah, it's like the best of breed of um, New Zealand directors,
1: isn't it? It is, yeah. no, We we absolutely have uh, top quality, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I want to talk about your most recent acquisition, but first I'd like to better understand your relationship with IBM. So can you tell us about your global agreement with IBM and how you think this could shape the company in the future?
1: Yeah, well, as we said to the market at the time, it it was definitely transformational. Um, So we doubt, we acquired a company. We've done eight acquisitions um, to date. We acquired a small translation services company, turning over about $3 million in Barcelona in 2018. Um, IBM was their customer and they were doing a lot of work for um, IBM in Spanish, which is one of the main languages. Uh, reasonably substantial spend from IBM in that one language. And look, through that relationship, we're able to push up into corporate IBM globally at a time when IBM were looking to what, what, what they did around their translation services. They used, um, a, a wide range of vendors, somewhere between 10 and 20, maybe even more sometimes vendors around the world for each different sort of language pair. And they wanted to consolidate that, but more importantly, they wanted a way what what they felt was that their translation services structure was not enabling them to to talk to their customers on their customers' terms. So they weren't automating enough. They 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 didn't have the timeframes right. They just didn't have a lot of stuff. I, I, this is how I feel that they've, they've why they've um, changed is it, it just wasn't allowing them to interact with their customers the right way, and they wanted to, to change that. Um, so they made uh so we went through a a process and and we've been awarded 55 languages which is the bulk of ibm's translation Mm -hmm. work um and you know as i say spanish just in that one language was a substantial customer of ours and and we've been given 55 so it it is quite um transformational it's a four-year deal uh we're in the middle of onboarding a huge amount of that at the moment and um in, in terms of getting the, the, the process right and the, and the automation systems and and sort of engaging as, as we go through. So, um, look, and, and I think what it did is it validates our technology. You know, we, we're telling the market that we have this world-leading technology that uh, really offers a huge amount of value uh, to these customers, and I guess that's the biggest validation point we have to date, that that our technology does lead the world.
0: Mm. And a great partner to work with.
1: Yeah. yeah. At, and I'm generally honest. I think that we have found we've been really surprised at just how how sort of um, how much we've enjoyed working with a lot of the IBM people. They seem to have a culture which is um, just a friendly. It's almost like they're not a huge conglomerate. It's just you know it's it's like um, which is hard to do in a big company to keep that sort of culture. And so yeah, we've really enjoyed it. And uh, a great partner.
0: Uh, Grant, with um, eight or so acquisitions under your belt, acquired growth is clearly, you know, a tenant to your strategic plan. Can you talk us through your most recent acquisition and how you expect this acquisition to drive shareholder value?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, so, so if I just, first of all, you, look, acquisitions are <clears throat> are about growth, but they're about Acquisitive growth, and they're about organic growth. So if you look at the one the company that we bought in Spain, we, we bought that company. We got consolidation benefits to make it more profitable. And then we're able to push into their customer base and 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 get significant organic growth potential through the likes of IBM. So the company that we've bought, Lingotech, which is based outside of Salt Lake City, um, it's a little bit different in that they have um, complementary technology. And that they've been able to implement a SaaS model on their revenue streams. Now, you're never going to have a translation services company that has a 100% SaaS model because of the project nature of the work. But what you can do is have a portion of your revenue as SaaS. And and that is the sticky part of the revenue. So the part where you're plugging in systems into other companies um, and into your customers. and And they've done that really well. So they had a huge amount of appeal to us. And they also had 20 corporate large corporate customers where they uh, they they might they might have had some technology but maybe not the translation services or they might have had a couple of languages of translation services but not everything because they they didn't have a global services infrastructure and um something that i've seen with the technology companies in this industry is that they've all focused on being tech companies and not on the services delivery aspect which is really critical so when they come to scale into a customer, they they can only win a small part of the business. Now, by us getting access to these twenty corporate customers, we've got the ability now through our global reach to 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 grow that revenue. So it's very much about um, acquired growth. And again, you know, the revenue wise, they're turning over um, eleven million dollars, um, kiwi. So you know, reasonable sized company with fifty odd staff, and. Um, we see huge potential, uh, particularly 40% of that revenue is SaaS-based revenue. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was. I guess it was interesting as well trying to do a deal of that size through COVID, um, which, again, we've, we've been able to do successfully. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to integrating and um, and growing that business now.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of looking forward, what can shareholders look forward to over the next 12 months?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, um, we've obviously just gone through a couple of, of, of substantial growth, transformational growth events in terms of the IBM deal um, and uh, Lingotech. So I think for us right now, it's sort of um, you know heads down, getting all of this stuff integrated, getting it working. Um, we, we are a different business. We're a lot bigger. Um, we think that there's opportunities coming out of the back of COVID. With um the fact that it's a really fragmented industry that we're in, and we, and we're not and we, and we think that it's going to favor some of the larger companies with technology over the small cottage industry type um, companies that maybe might have struggled through COVID but also don't have a solution that 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 people are looking for as tech becomes um, much more relevant for many companies in, in their supply chains um and yeah, leveraging that that IBM story into into some new business. So um I think it's gonna be a, a very exciting next twelve months.
0: Well, I wish you all the very best with it with this um you know, very unique value proposition in a very, very deep uh fifty billion dollar per annum market.
1: Yeah. And, and thanks very much. I, I didn't actually I, I just thought before you you did ask me about my time in the military and how I'm gonna shape things, but I I think the one thing that uh it taught me was that um if you're ever gonna you'll always find an excuse not to do th- something and um and, and what what it shows you is 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 that you just keep going and you, and you look for all the opportunities and and you really look to drive growth and value and 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 you might be chicken and egg and that I might have had that attitude and that's why I did that in the military or it might be that that's what it's taught me and that's what I do now but um I think that that will really help drive um, that, that sort of attitude which we embed in the company I think should hopefully drive some shareholder value into the future.
0: Well, thank you to my guest Grant Straker, CEO and founder of Straker Translations, for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice daily newsletter for ASX market coverage, company profiles and industry insights.